0: You know, I'm thinking about as I'm approaching today and just wanting to, to really bring a message uh, that touches our hearts, that helps us to come face-to-face with Jesus, right? I mean, that's the goal of a pastor every week, is to help his, his congregation, his people come face-to-face with Jesus. I understand, and any good pastor understands, I am nothing, you know. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon me, I'm just a good-looking guy up here chattering a bunch of <laughs> words, okay? I understand that. I know. You don't have to tell me, Okay. <laughs> It's just words without God, and so I approach this today, and I just really want to bring a message to you that helps you to come face-to-face with Jesus. That's my heart. I want you to get to know Him. I want you to get to know Him better if you already do know Him. I want you to understand not only the price that He paid, but what you have as a result of that, the victory. The inheritance that you get from accepting Jesus as your Savior, that's just from grace that he freely gave. I don't want anybody to go on from this life not knowing that and not have received that. And so as I'm approaching today's message and I'm thinking, you know, Easter, I mean, I'm just going to level with you that's a, that's a you're, you're like, man, I mean, it's Easter, but at the same time, the gravity of that message, you know, how, how am I going to communicate this in the right way that's honoring to the Lord? I mean, that's what my heart is here. And, and as I thought a lot about it, it's, It's interesting if you look at just churches all over the land and and people across our nation, a lot of churches have become kind of stale, you know? They're not on fire for God. They just kind of come in and they go through the routine and they go on their way and they, they feel like they check the thing off the list for the week. And that's just not what we're that's just not it. That's not the church that Jesus set up. That's not what he died to give you, you know. And and so I was thinking this message about Easter, it's we as a church, I mean, we kinda there's a danger. If you will, and coming to this this message, and us just thinking, oh, it's you know, it's just kind of the Easter message. That's just the staple in our in our theology. You know, that's just kind of like the classic one. Oh yeah, we'll go. We've heard that before. We all know the story. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. You know, and and while we we understand the importance of that, sometimes we kind of get. In this thing where we think, well, you know, that's that's the one I already know real well. And all of the other things throughout the Bible, we kind of want to learn what's in there and uncover that. But let me just say this. The message of the cross, the Easter message, according to the Christian faith, it is the axis point that everything turns on. It it is what all of time and history led up to. All of the Old Testament prophets and everything that happened before Jesus, it all pointed to him. It all looked toward him. It all anticipated and waited for the coming of the Messiah. And then once he came and did what he did on the cross at Easter, rose from the dead, that is what brought power and life to everything after that. And from then on, we've been looking back to the cross As we've moved forward in history, so the the cross, the message of Easter, it's like the axis point for all of eternity. Even when we go to be with Jesus in heaven, it's all going to be because of what he did on the cross that day 2,000 years ago, right? So it's the turning point. It's the axis point for everything. Think about just even in years the way they measure years, B.C. and A.D., Right? You want to throw a scientist or a historian kind of on their heels, ask them when they're giving you, you know, details about history and about millions of years and everything. Well, why the B.C. and why the A.D.? Right? I mean, why the before Christ and the Anno Domini after death? Why why that? It's all about Jesus. You know, by and large, the world, they look at years, they look at history as B.C. and A.D. And do you know that the reason for that? Do you know what happened in between B.C. and A.D.? The cross. Jesus is what happened. And so he's the turning point for everything, not only in history, but for your life for your life. There is an access point for you the day that you received or will receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Everything in your life will change, right? But you know, when Jesus came, it wasn't convenient. It wasn't like just this perfect timing for the world necessarily it was god's perfect timing but he kind of came and, and and by and large the people that the society they weren't really prepared for him they weren't ready for him that he didn't look like what they thought he should be the pharisees they just all they could see what was what was wrong with him what he was threatening them in their power nothing was really set up it was like it was just inconvenient. And let me say this to you. If you are not really living a life for God, or maybe you recently decided to do that, that God is not he, hes not waiting for you to get everything in position so that you can set him up to come into your life when it's convenient. He, he, he's God all by himself, okay? He doesn't need you to help him do that. The challenge for us is to recognize and realize that we are not qualified to orchestrate divine things, like God moving in our life, showing up, intervening, and just changing us forever. In fact, some of you may even be here today, and you didn't even want to come, and you just came because it's Easter, and maybe you're thinking, you know what, I understand, it makes sense, okay, one day I can see myself going to church and settling down, but you know what, right now, I'm just a mess, I'm just kind of all over the place, I'm just not, my life just isn't really set up for this yet. God is... God is exactly what you need right now And he's not interested with you setting things up to be convenient for him to show up He's just interested in you getting out of your own way And letting him be God The thing that he does better than no one else can do, right? And that's what he did whenever he came Is all the people, they missed him So many of them missed him because they, they thought it needed to look different It needed to feel different Or it needed to happen differently But did you know, it didn't change anything about what Jesus did They couldn't stop it they couldn't stop him he still did exactly what he came to do and some received him and some didn't but by, doesn't matter the whole world was changed as a result of that and so when i think about you know just conven- it's like man don't fall into the myth, don't buy the myth that somehow you've got to do something or be in a certain place or get yourself ready or prepared before God, before you're worthy of God showing up and coming into your life. That is a lie, and that isn't the Bible that we preach here, okay? Jesus can show up and move in your heart anytime that you just receive that invitation that He's freely giving. We've got our house on the market, and we're trying to sell our house right now. And uh, it's funny, right? Things happen at inconvenient times. And so we've got it all cleaned up. We've got all the touch-up paint. We've got all the things going on. And the last two weeks, our kids have drawn on the walls more than they have in the entire time that we've been there. I mean, we went, I went into the bedroom the other night. Evie, the three-year-old, she's like, Daddy, Alyssa, she drew all over her wall up on her bed. She drew pictures. I'm like, oh, man, here we go. You know, so I walk in there, and I look. And I mean to tell you. Michelang- Michelangelo would have been jealous of this thing. It, she's got a, a, her bunk beds in the corner of the room. It was on this wall, this wall, and on the ceiling. It actually took, I, mean, I guess you call that three-dimensional or something, abstract and, you know, impressionism. I don't know what. But it, it was like a six-story building with windows, and there were swings, and they were all over the place. And I'm like, you, you never drew anything like this before, like whenever we could have just washed right, you know, it's right whenever we're getting ready to sell our house. And, and so then I'm like, well, wh- where's the pencil that you use to draw this, you know? And she holds up a headphone jack. She carved it. She carved it into the wall. Carved it. I mean, it's quite a piece of work, I tell you. And so, uh... Listen... Your definition of convenience and God's, they don't even mix, okay? God is just interested in being God to you. He's just interested in showing up powerfully in your life and and being able to empower you to live the life that he created you to live. That brings him glory. That brings him honor. That puts a smile on his face. It's not something that we feel guilty about. It's something that we honor him with, right, that we have a blessed life of victory that we get to live out. And I want it, and I hope you do too. And so let me just go through some things. To me, when you look at this story of the cross and Easter, it's anything but a simple, pretty story. It's anything but just a classic, you know, seen it a million times, know every line kind of thing. The more you study this, especially when you look at all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they each give different accounts and there's different details in all of them, the more you see, like, there are some major wow factors in this story, man. Like, there are some things in here that I'm just like, wow, that's unbelievable. He did that or that happened? Like, that's crazy, you know, let me just, so I'm going to just give you the story, kind of the summary version, right, of of this, of this Easter message, but I'm going to give you some of the things that you may or may not be aware of, that to me are like wow factors, like Jesus did this thing huge, right, I mean, he came, he didn't just do it halfway, like he did it all the way, man, so when it starts out, okay, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, right, the week before he dies on the cross, and and so he comes in, he, he goes into town, he starts doing ministry, he starts healing people, and doing all these things and then we come to the time where he's about ready to approach his death and so let's just say the first thing is in the garden of Gethsemane right Jesus goes to pray he knows that the hour is near like he can feel it and did you know that whenever he was in the garden and he was praying many of us know that he said father take this cup from me if you are able if not then you know your will be done many of us know that but did you know that he prayed for me and you in the garden Did you know that he actually said a prayer for all of us when he was in the garden of Gethsemane? I'll prove it to you. In John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone. He had just got done praying for himself and for the disciples. Now, this is only in the book of John, okay? But also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one So those that will believe in me, right? That's all of creation after that that would ever believe upon Jesus. He was praying for them that there would be unity in in, uh, one another as Jesus and the Father were united. He was saying, I pray for unity for all of the body of Christ, for all of those that will come after me. I don't know about you, but that lights me on fire, man. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was praying for me and you, in addition to all the things that he was lifting up before the Father at that time. And did you know that Jesus actually also sweat blood? Some people think that's just a metaphor. He actually sweat blood. Listen to this in Luke 22, 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, I I know we got some nurses in here and stuff, so just don't, Throw anything at me, but I may get this wrong. But there's a condition known as hematidrosis. Hematidrosis. It's a condition that we're aware of today. And listen to what that is. It's the effusion of blood in one's sweat. Extreme anguish or physical strain causes the capillaries at the surface to dilate and then burst and mix with sweat. He actually sweat blood. He was in that much agony. He was in human form, right? And he was feeling the agony and the anguish of what awaited him. And he went and did it anyway. I don't know about you. I've had some pretty tough times, pretty tough seasons. Ain't never sweat blood before. I mean, I ain't never been through one of those deals. And I hope I don't ever see that. Jesus did. He actually sweat blood. Did you know Judas obviously betrayed Jesus? But he betrayed Jesus for, I don't know if you noticed, 30 pieces of silver. Which is interesting because in the Old Testament, whenever they made arrangements to reconcile if someone's ox like uh, killed one of their slave servants, the price for that re- reconciliation was 30 pieces of silver. So Judas, he, he sold himself out at a slave's wage. He basically, by choosing not to follow Christ and turn away from Christ, he chose to become a slave of sin and die in sin. I don't know about you. I think that's pretty interesting. Did you know that when Jesus was in the garden and then they came to arrest him, that his, he actually knocked all of the soldiers down with his words? Did you know that? Listen to this. In John 14, 4 through 6, it says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, this is as they're charging, getting ready to arrest him, whom are you seeking? And they answered him and said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. And then Judas, who betrayed him, also stood there. And when he said that I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Boy, there's power in Jesus' words, aren't there? And did you know when we speak the word of God into our lives, we are speaking the word of Jesus, right? Jesus is the word, and this is his living word. And when we speak that, it's like we're speaking his words, and they carry power with them. And in the physical here, they actually knocked all of the men down that were standing there. If you were one of the ones arresting Jesus, I mean, you had to be thinking like, Dude, he just flat out knocked us all out with his words. I mean, what if he, like, tries to resist this thing? How is this going to go down, you know? They had to be freaking out, right? But he allowed it to happen after that. uh, Peter cut off the guard's ear, and then Jesus reached down, and he put the ear back on. That's the only time in the Bible that Jesus actually reattached a member of someone's body, and he healed that man. And what I found very interesting is that man never even asked for healing. Right? He never even asked Jesus. That's how, that's how merciful this God that we serve is. That's how compassionate he is. Is that he is not limited in his ability to heal or intervene or show up in your life by anything. I mean, we see a guard that has ear cut off that would we'll never hear from that again. And out of mercy and compassion, he didn't even ask Jesus. He just reached out and put it back on and healed the man. I mean, these guys had to be, like, thinking to themselves, what is going on? We're, we're going to take this guy away? I mean, he just knocked us all down, and he just put this dude's ear back on. And he didn't even use thread and his needle, you know? I mean, there's no wound left to see. Did you know after they arrested Jesus that he actually went on trial three different times? He went before Pilate, and then Pilate sent him to Herod, and then Herod sent him back to Pilate. So he was actually on trial three times, and in all three trials he was basically found innocent Herod and Pilate could find no fault in him yet he was still sentenced to death I don't know about you but I can see here that man is a very poor judge of divine things right we're not qualified to judge the things of God I mean he was innocent in three trials yet he still got sentenced to death I don't know if you knew this I think this is interesting But Herod and Pilate, it says that they actually became friends with one another after this incident, that they were at enmity with each other before that, and then after this, that they actually became friends. Look, misery loves company, right? I mean, people who are against God somehow and, and, and they're vocal about it, they seem to find commonality in that thing. And Jesus said, look, you're for me or you're against me, right? I mean, he drew a line in the sand and he made it very clear. And so we're obviously, we want to align ourselves with other people in our lives that we walk closely with who are for Jesus, who call him Lord. Did you know uh, that Jesus forgave One of the two criminals that were on the cross alongside of him, right? This is, I love this one in Luke 23, verse 42. He said to Jesus, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, to today, you will be with me in paradise. He's strung up on a cross, man. His hands and his knees and his legs, they're nailed to the thing. Is the hand of the Lord too short that it cannot save in any situation? I mean, he's on his deathbed here, and he he looks at the man and he says, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're going to be with me in paradise today. Listen, I don't care where you're at. I don't care what you think you've done. I don't care how bad you think you've uh, offended or hurt God or disobeyed him. The hand of the Lord is not too short to save anyone in any situation, no matter how bad. The Bible tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ not even death right there's nothing that we can do that would separate us from Jesus' love for us He, he said to the man hands nailed to the cross that today you are going to be with me in paradise you know, they, they were gonna they were breaking people's legs while they were on the cross because it helped them to die faster so that they would sink down and that they would suffocate quicker. And when they went to go examine Jesus, they, they saw that he looked like he was dead, so they stuck a spear in his side. They pierced his side, and water and blood kind of ran out together, which is a sign that someone's already dead. And so they didn't even have to break his legs. Did you know that was an Old Testament prophecy? It said, not a bone in his body shall be broken. It said, they shall pierce his side. It also was an Old Testament prophecy that he hung by two criminals. It said he'll be numbered with the transgressors. I'm going to show you this in a second, multiple times here. But did you know in Jesus' lifetime, theologians estimate that in one life of Jesus, there were about 456 prophecies that stem back over hundreds and hundreds of years that Jesus fulfilled his entire life. Everything from the lineage that he would come from, where he would be born, how he would be born, where he would grow up, how he would ride into town, how he would die, all these things, like 456 prophecies from hundreds of years past. The best scientific studies in the world at colleges have been done. And they say that the number that you come up with to figure out what the percentages or the odds of one man achieving that, it's not even a measurable number. One man just fulfilling 48, Eight of those prophecies in his lifetime would be like 10 with 50 zeros behind it just 48 it's amazing isn't it i mean you look on the, the situation and i'm not like a facts guy necessarily but when you look at that i mean i don't know it's harder not to believe than to believe you know what i'm saying amen, amen. and did you know that after jesus died he gave up his spirit and he breathed his last breath did you know that there was a massive earthquake A massive earthquake that hit across uh, Golgotha where Jesus was crucified there. The earth shook, and listen to this. This is amazing. Oh, I can't even believe this. This is in Matthew, okay? It doesn't say this in the other Gospels. The earth shook. And did you know all the people that were looking on? They they began to like have remorse. Many of the guards and the onlookers said, "Surely this was the Son of God." You know, I mean, greater is he who believes it doesn't see, but even him who sees and believes, you know, still obviously they recognized that this was the Son of God when this happened. But when that when the earthquake happened, it said that the graves burst open. And those that, who were asleep in Christ before that actually rose out of the graves and they entered the holy city and people saw them. Did you know that that happened in this story? I mean, that is unbelievable. Right? That there's people who were asleep in Christ, meaning that they died believing in the promise of the coming Messiah. That's what we understand that to mean. So they had faith in the coming Jesus. So it was like their faith was awaiting what would happen. And then they would go in to see God in heaven, right? But it, it said the graves burst open. They came out and they were seen in the city. I mean, would you be freaking out or what if like hundreds of people that believed in Jesus all of a sudden were just walking around? I don't know how they were doing it, if they were running, if they were walking. I don't, I'm not sure, but... I just think that's pretty amazing. And then after, after Jesus rose from the dead, okay, and then Mary Magdalene and uh, they went down to the tomb and they, they saw that the tomb was open, the Bible says that it was, there was another earthquake that day. So three days later, right? Another earthquake. And did you know why that earthquake happened? Oh, this is good. An angel of the Lord, came down and actually rolled the stone away from the tomb that jesus was buried in and it was so powerful and so strong that it actually created an earthquake and then mary magdalene when she looked in jesus was gone there were two angels standing there now one of the gospels only accounts for one but there's another one that says there were two there but one of them spoke to mary and first it says that his countenance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. These two angels standing alongside of the empty tomb of Jesus. And he said, woman, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Right, Jesus is alive and he is risen And then he said to her Go quickly and tell the disciples What has happened Now I don't know about you But if an angel said go quickly I'd probably be like uh, Your definition of quickly are mine like, or Am I catching a ride with you Or should I just start running Because you know? I don't think I can run quick enough By your definition of the word Like They didn't have clocks back then But I think Mary actually broke the four minute mile Hundreds of years before Roger Bannister ever did Right? I mean, she's got to be flying down that hillside, hopping on rocks and everything. And she got there, and then Peter and, and, and John, then Peter and John, they came to the tomb, and then they saw the tomb was empty. But guess what? Guess what was still there? The linens were still there. What Jesus was wrapped in and his body after he was dead was still there. And the Bible says that he had a handkerchief. Oh, he had a handkerchief that was wrapped around his head and it was folded and laying nicely there when they walked in. Did you know that in those times, and even today this happens, but that handkerchief, when you're dining and you have servants coming to you, when you throw that handkerchief on the ground, that means you're finished and they can clean up. But when you fold that handkerchief up and you lay it on your on your table, it means that you're coming back. Oh, Jesus is coming back, right? I mean, he's going to come back. Yeah. Now, there were two guards that actually the Jewish, uh, that, that Herod and them, that they had watching, the Pharisees had watching over the tomb because they knew that Jesus said he was going to raise up. They didn't know what that meant, but they thought, well, somebody's going to try to come and steal his body. And so they had these two guards standing next to it, and when they came... Uh, the two guards, they saw the angel of the Lord. It said they shook with fear and acted like they were dead. And then those those guards, they went and they told the Pharisees what had happened. We saw two angels. The guy rose from the dead. Did you know what the Pharisees did? They, they bribed them and gave them money and said, do not tell anybody what you saw. Tell them that his disciples came and took his body. And so that lie stood. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're one of the Pharisees, I mean, why are you not believing now you know two angels he's gone he did what he said i mean you haven't seen enough listen you're either for me or you're against me you either choose to see and believe or you choose not to right god's just extending the invitation it's up for us to receive that invitation oh i just want to keep going on here jesus appeared multiple times after he was dead Multiple times he appeared to his disciples three different occasions. And on one of those, the first one, Thomas wasn't there. And so Thomas said, I'm just, I don't believe it. I need to see to believe, okay? I need to put my finger in the pierced side and I need to touch the wounds in his hands, Thomas said. And did you know not long after there, Thomas was with them and Jesus showed up again? And guess what he let Thomas do? He let him put his fingers in the holes yeah. in his hands, and he let him put his hand in the side. Now listen. That's where he said, Thomas, you've seen and so you believe, but greater is he who doesn't see and still believes. I mean, that's powerful, right? But listen to me. Listen, Jesus is so good and so compassionate, so merciful. He'll just meet you right where you are. He met Thomas right where he was in his unbelief halfway, not sure, just kind of questioning things. And he came up and he showed Thomas that he was real. And Thomas served him for the rest of his days after that. Jesus will meet you right where you are. You just got to take that one step. He'll take the rest of the 99 all the way to you. And did you know that Jesus had a cookout with the disciples? It says they were in a boat and they looked over and there was a guy on the shore and he was he was cooking and he told them to throw their net over the side and bring a bunch of fish in. And so they did that. But when Peter realized that it was Jesus, because John said, That's Peter, or that's Jesus, Peter. Peter put his raincoat on and he jumped in the water and swam. He couldn't get there fast enough. He swam to Jesus, right? And then, you know, while they were sitting there, Jesus asked Peter three times. He said, "Jesus, or Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? I always thought that was really interesting. He asked him three times. And the third time, it even says Peter like got upset, like he was hurt that Jesus kept asking him. But I thought about this. This is the same Peter that denied Christ three times. He denied him three times. And I believe there's something in that that Jesus was saying, listen, Peter, I'm reaffirming your faith in me right here, man. Three times I want to hear you say it. You love me. You love me. You love me. Three times represents completion. Peter loved Jesus, and he reconfirmed his faith right there in that moment. And he began to serve God for the rest of his days. We know that he was the father of the New Testament church as it started after that, that Jesus gave him authority over all things, right, after that in the church. Powerful stuff powerful stuff this this is anything but just a pretty story I mean there's so many more things here I wish I could tell you but let me just end by saying this the Bible is clear that we are spirit beings with a body and our spirit is going to live forever our bodies will not all right let me clarify that the Bible talks about something that's called the second death The first death we've all already experienced, that happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned and sin basically fell into the earth. All died, meaning separated from God. The second death is one that we may or may not experience. It's up to us to make a choice there. The second death is when we leave this earth, if we're going to be separated from God, our spirit separated from God for all of eternity, that's the second death. But if we join God in heaven with Jesus and worship Him for eternity, then that is where the life is. And that's what the Bible refers to as being born again. When we receive this message of the cross, and I'm sharing with you today, and believe it, and receive Jesus as our Savior, then His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives in us, and we are going to be with Him for eternity in heaven. And I'm I'm just going to give you the facts here. Revelation chapter 20 tells you what happens if we don't make this choice. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 John is saying what he sees in ahead he says then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it whose face whose face the earth and heaven fled away from and there was found no place for them and I saw the dead small and great standing before God and books were open and another book was open which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books and the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works the death and hades were then death and hades were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire it's very clear it's very clear jesus is the answer he is the way To not spend, our spirit spend eternity in eternal damnation and suffering. Jesus is the way to eternal life. We all know the scripture in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Listen to the next two verses. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. Do you get that? Jesus didn't come to condemn anyone. The world was already condemned. Jesus came to save. We are a condemned people, humanity, without Jesus. With Jesus and receiving the message of the cross, we are saved. We have eternal life in him from that point on. And what happened on, on the cross is, is, the, is the single thing in history that is changing lives still today forever. There's nothing that ever happened that's transforming lives still now today, spiritually speaking, that the message of the cross did. And when Jesus shed his blood, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were then brought near again by his blood, those who were far away meaning we're distant and we're separated from God when we're born into this earth in sin. And when we receive the message of the cross and the shed blood of Jesus, it comes and it washes away our sin and we are brought near to God, brought back into relationship with Him here now on this earth and for the rest of eternity when we leave here. Hallelujah. If you believe that, say amen today. Let's stand to our feet.